Welcome back. Hello, welcome. Welcome back. Welcome to another episode of the Guys Telling Stories podcast. I'm Rich Douglas. I'm Bill Easton. And I just wanted to start off by saying thanks to all the fans and the listeners. Wow, Bill, we got a ton of uh, likes, Mm -hmm. shares, and we have an amazing guest today, uh, Finn and Sarah DeMink from Southern Tier Brewing Company. Yes, we do. Yeah, before we get into that, guys, just thanks so much for sharing our first episode of season two. Yeah, I have a lot of friends who mentioned and commented and... We're amazed that we got to talk to Tucker Max. Yeah, a lot of good feedback. So if you haven't listened, please check out that episode. But you know what, Bill? A few people are asking me how to subscribe to the podcast. Subscribing really helps us out because it lets you get all the episodes sent directly to your phone, your listening device. So, I mean, to put it simply, just head to our website, guystownstories.com. We've got a little button there. It says for iPhones and then a little button there that says for Android. Now, if you're adventurous, you could type in guystellingstories.com backslash iTunes, and that'll take you right to the place you got to subscribe if you got an iPhone. If you got an Android phone, <laughs> it's guystellingstories.com backslash Android. Why be adventurous? Just go to the website. Yeah, just go to the website. It's, it's, it's much easier. It's easier. Yeah. Also, um, we had a couple uh, clicks on the Amazon link. I want to thank you guys for, uh, for going to our website first. Again, we have an Amazon link. It takes you right to Amazon. So if you're going to shop for something on Amazon... Just go to guystellingstories.com first, click on that link. It doesn't cost you anything. It, it, it basically just gives us a little bit of cut of what you purchase. Yeah, yeah. So thanks for using that. That is uh, very appreciated. And also our fan design contest for our next T-shirt. Uh, it's going to end next week, Bill. So okay. we're going to announce the winner. So here's what you can do. If you haven't already, you can design a cool T-shirt. It can be a famous quote a cool logo, uh, some artwork, some drawings, some incorporate the guys telling stories, you know, uh, wording or mm-hmm. logo as well. Um, but we're going to pick a winner and it's going to go on a t-shirt and it'll be available avail- available on Amazon. On Amazon. Everybody can buy it. So That's pretty cool. We're gonna I'm going to buy one. Yes, you are. I know. It looks like you just bought another couple, didn't you? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. Did you put them on strangers again? Nope. No, I got yelled at. Oh, well, keep it up, Bill. Keep it up. All right. So that is going to end next week. It's going to be tough to pick a winner, but I'm excited about that. Also excited about Bill. It's our first road trip. Road trip of the season. Road trip. Yeah, that is right. Road trip. Road trip. <laughs> Bill's pumped. Yeah, it is a beautiful day outside. It's my favorite place. Our producer Sean is already on the road. He's going to set up some equipment, so we got to get going, Bill. But um, before we head out, each week we're looking to do a new segment called Try at Home. Try at Home. We're going to feature cool products that help make life interesting and uh, fun. I have the first one. Go for it, Bill. You ready? Uh, as, as many of our listeners know, I own a uh, little business. It's called Drone Buffalo. And one of the drones that we own is called a Phantom, a DGI Phantom 2 Plus quadcopter. I bought it in Las Vegas when I was there and uh, realized very quickly when I got home that I probably should have went to Amazon to purchase it. How come? Because it's a lot cheaper. <laughs> <laughs> what do these drones do? Because I got one for Christmas. It was like this little thing. It crashed mm-hmm. into the wall. I never used it again. What are you talking we about? We use it for some aerial photography, uh, weddings, parties. Um, basically, uh, some real estate companies have hired hired us, and, and uh, we take some great pictures of our um, our own properties and, and have a good time with it. And it's actually a lot of fun to use. So we'll put that up on uh, our website at the Try at Home segment. Um, we'll put up the uh, DJI Phantom 3. Well, all these products are available on our website at guystownstories.com under the Try at Home tab. Well, here's what I got. I got these glasses that are proper glassware for beer. They're called Spigiglo glasses. It's scientifically designed to improve the flavor and the aroma of beer. So you and I were at a brewery. Somebody broke Mm -hmm. one of these out for a nice IPA, and I was really skeptical at first. But they work. They make the beer taste better. It smells better. And what we'll do is we'll post a cool video on our website of somebody using one so you can get the kind of the behind the scenes look at the science behind it. These are so cool. So there's this kit that has one for IPA, one for stout, and we'll put that kit on our website under the Try at Home tab. Sounds good. All right. You ready to take a road trip? Road trip. <laughs> All right, our guests for <laughs> he's very excited. Our guests for today are Finn and Sarah DeMink, the founders of Southern Tier Brewing Company. Mm-hmm. Bill, 
they invited us to head on down to the brewery. We're going to do this live. Yes. We're going to record on their patio. Awesome. I'm hoping to dive deep into the business of beer and find out how back in 2003, when this husband and wife had this idea to start a brewery, how 13 years later, they're one of the top breweries in all of the United States. That's cool. It is really cool. Yeah. So Sean's already on the road. Sean, we're on the way. We'll pass him. (laughs) All right. Let's go talk to Sarah and Finn. All right, guys, welcome to another amazing episode of the Guys Telling Stories podcast. I'm Rich Douglas. I'm Bill Easton. And Bill, you look very excited Rich, today. Rich, we're outdoors for the first time. This is our first episode First recording outside. outdoors. Yeah, we have some amazing guests. We are down here at the Southern Tier Brewing Company, and we are sitting down with Sarah and Finn DeMink. Guys, welcome to the show. Thank Thanks. you. Thanks for having us. Yeah. How are you guys doing today? The weather's beautiful. Oh, it's gorgeous. This is our favorite place to be is out on our patio. If the sun's shining, people are drinking beer. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Well, guys, before we get too far into it, where can they follow you online or, you know, follow your social media? We have a Facebook page. uh, So if you just look up southerntierbrewing.com, you'll find it. Uh, Our website is southerntierbrewing.com. Okay. And we also have a mobile site, uh, stbc.beer. So those are probably the best places to look. All right. Well, maybe you guys could kind of get into um, a little bit about how you got into the business of beer. I mean, you two are president and is it, what would you call yourself, CEO of the company? Or uh, No, I'm not the CEO. I'm uh, uh, founder, president, owner, slash janitor. Slash <laughs> yeah, that yeah, comes with, you guys do that it comes with ownership. Yeah. <laughs> so I guess maybe just start at the beginning. How'd you two uh, meet before there was this whole brewing company? I first started, I was passionate about craft beer at a very young age. Mm-hmm. I just, uh, you know, I started homebrewing it young at the age of 16. My parents' rule was as long as it was made in the house and drank in the house, then, then they were okay with it. Um, and in those days, you know, there was pretty much, crap beer was, you know, pretty much all you could get. Right. Um, but uh, kind of the, you know, what what got me into homebrewing at first is uh, my mother got a, a treadmill for Christmas one year and I was always pretty mechanical and she said would you put this together for me and I said well I won't do it for free you know <laughs> being the nice son and she said well name your price so I said well I, I was just at um, the beer store um, well she was buying some beer and uh, there was a homebrew kit and I said well if you go and buy me that homebrew kit that we were just saw um, at D's, I would uh, I'll do it for you. So that's what kind of got me into home brewing. That was yeah. my first home brew kit. What was the What was <laughs> the first batch mom. you make? I'm sure everyone remembers their first batch. Do you remember uh, what style it was? Or? Yeah, the first batch of beer I ever made was a cinnamon brown ale, nice. and it exploded in my closet. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> so you never got to taste it. Maybe. No, I mean there were a couple bottles that didn't sure. explode. It was it wasn't really tasty. So I, make the room smell nice. Yeah, yeah. well, yeah. <laughs> Quickly figured out that sanitation and brewing was very important. Yeah, lesson learned. So how about you, Sarah? Were you into brewing? I was not in the brewing business. Okay. No, no. My brother-in-law, who actually owns Ellicottville Brewing Company, okay. started his brewery in 1995, and I was there helping him do that. Um, my father actually was one of the partners with him. And that is how Finn came into our lives. Mm-hmm. Uh, Peter was looking for a brewer to run this brew pub in Ellicottville and went out to California for a brew class and met Finn. So brought him back, and that's yeah, I where was, I met him. I was, uh, had, uh, I was going to school in Kalamazoo, Michigan, and um, wasn't s- super excited about my career path. And read in a uh, uh, like a, a, a brewing magazine that you could go and take a course out at UC Davis and get a uh, you know kind of quasi degree in uh, brewing science. So I, I said, hey, that sounds great. You know, network maybe score a job as a professional brewer. So I went out to California, and that's where I met uh, Peter, who Sarah was just speaking yeah. about, and uh, we we hit it off. We were friends immediately, and uh, he went back to New York to start his brewery and then called me and said, you know, would you mind uh, helping me do Ellicottville Brewing Company? So in 1994, I moved out to Ellicottville and only planned on staying for maybe a year and helping him start the brewery up. And four years later, I was still brewing there and that's where I met Sarah. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was kind of my, my first uh, first attempt at uh, professional brewing. Okay. So was it awkward dating the daughter? 
of the, <laughs> in, the owner. In, in the beginning it was a little you know we, we were a little quiet and it was, it was a little awkward but as time went on um, you know it, it worked itself out so. sure and I had had a culinary degree I went to Pennsylvania Institute um, in Pittsburgh and so I was running the kitchen side and he was running the brew house and so we were working together every day and just worked out but then he left and pursued his dream in beer at Siebel in Chicago so okay. I stayed back and ran the restaurant still cool so your education in beer wasn't done you know you had this experience brewing at Ellicottville and then it was time for for more life experience or more education or yeah I had a, I had a great time in Ellicottville and you know I, th- I think that Ellicottville Brewing Company was one of the first breweries that brought hop really hoppy beer to the east so our two brothers pale ale you know, was kind of I think at the time earth shattering. You know, in the in the mid '90s, nobody was brewing real aggressive beer like that. It was just like amber and brown and mm-hmm. blonde. You know, kind of the uninteresting styles and craft. Um, so, uh, but yeah, I I really wanted to be more of a production brewery and not just kind of the brew pub environment, which was which was you know great fun. Um, so I went back to school at Siebel Institute of Technology in Skokie, Illinois, mm-hmm. and did more of a, a professional program built more around production brewing um and from there i i landed a job at the goose island beer company in chicago did you have an awesome mentor or was there a guy that just like opened your eyes to new brewing techniques or yeah when i was at goose island it wasn't owned by anheuser-busch at the time or or by abi so uh uh, it was it was owned by john hall um and uh his son greg who was the brewmaster so i you know i got to spend uh almost five years uh working with them uh john halls particularly was a great mentor of mine um and just really learning you know what it takes to to do production brewing it wasn't they did have a brew pub um which was very successful but i i was just based out of the production brewery yeah. on fulton street kind of in the ghetto of chicago by the united center um but it, it was great fun i mean it, it you know, it was a lot more uh, engaging. It's technical. It's exciting. Uh, I, I've just always liked, you know, nuts and bolts and gears. So packaging lines and keg machines and stuff like that. I always, I thought was just so interesting. Um, it, it, at that time, we brewed a ton of Honkers Ale. That was like the flagship. You don't really see it that much anymore. Mm-hmm. It's mainly IPA, but uh, it was one of the first, uh, you know, pioneering craft breweries. And in the great city of Chicago, you know, it was awesome, awesome time that I spent there. We weren't uh, married, no kids. Yeah. Did, Life was good. Did you go out, Sarah, <laughs> were you, did you go out to visit? I actually moved out there a year after he um, was part of the brewery because he had a lot of the beginning shifts, which are night shifts. He worked a lot of night shifts at Goose when he first started. Yeah, yeah. And then climbed up the ladder and ended up being head brewer of the whole facility. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, you I know. started on the, I started on the, I just took whatever job I could to get in the door. So it was... Um, graveyard shift cellar um, so it was nights and weekends and every time there was an opening I just kind of took it and just kept climbing my way up through the ranks and then eventually ended up running the whole facility uh, so it was it was exciting I got to experience you know all the different departments hands-on not just from a you know managerial sense so it was uh, just an invaluable experience yeah. so th- this beer that everybody stands in line over you created it, right? Bourbon, <laughs> Bourbon County. I, no, I, I can't take credit for that, but I, I, I have brewed a lot of it. Yeah. Were they, I mean, that's aged in bourbon barrels for people who aren't familiar yeah, with it? Yeah, it was, um, you know, one of the first yeah. first uh, beers that was aged in spirit barrels. Um, so, you know, Goose is known for a lot of really revolutionary things mm-hmm. that have kind of built subcategories around some of the innovations. So really cool brewery to be a part of. Nice. And it was for how many years? Three years? Four years? A little over four years. Yeah, we were there. And then in uh, 2002, um, we decided to, uh, you know, we started thinking about a family and didn't really think that Chicago was the spot. And I had been doing it for other people long enough, and we decided that we wanted to, you know, make a go on our own. So in 2003, uh, Sarah's dad, Skip, um, selfishly lured us back to the area. There you go. Uh, by, did by, you blackmail him like you did mom with the treadmill? <laughs> no, no, it was the other way around. I think around. you blackmailed oh, us. Okay. Yeah, it was the here. other way around. So he, uh, <laughs> you know, he, he helped us secure uh, funding to start Southern Tier Brewing Company, and he was one of our partners early on. So it was uh, Sarah, myself, and her father 
Great. Um, back in 2003, we, we actually bought uh, two breweries that had gone out of business and been for, foreclosed, but seized by the banks. So one was in um, Ohio and one was in uh, uh, Massachusetts. So I had found out about them, one in particular uh, from one of my friends, and this was really before we had formalized opening Southern Tier. So I, I decided to go out to Massachusetts. I didn't really, we didn't have any money then, so I drove out, you know, camped along the way. You came with me, right? Yes, we went, I was pregnant yeah. with our first child. So there was a lot going on in our lives. Yes. <laughs> so we, we went out to Pittsfield, Massachusetts, and got a tour from uh, the banker. Uh, the landlord tried to convince us that we should just move back and exactly. open up there. Yeah, of um, course. So, you know, anyways, we left, came back, and we decided to put a really, really low ball entirety bid um, on the uh, on the, the whole facility. And the banker kind of scoffed at it and said, well, uh, you know, we're going to see the auction through. I said, fine, no problem. And maybe about a week later, he called back and he said, well, you, your entirety bid took the whole auction. <laughs> so we were like, oh, geez, we need a building. We need to actually do this now. You so, just bought a brewery. Yeah, yeah we just bought a brewery. And With everything, brooms, yeah, computers, it, it was the whole setup. So, so what was the timeline? Like, you have the baby on the way, you own the brewery, you got to move the equipment, you got to find a place. Like, what's was that like a crazy three months, six months? It was crazy. We, we didn't have a place to live, so we lived with my parents. We have a brewery. We had a brewery. Yeah. I think on the first day that Finn actually brewed a beer, our son was born. So things didn't Aww. really go as planned. <laughs> right, right. The idea of it yeah, is it was, sort we, of perfect. We packed a lot into one year. Yeah, for sure. Um, but yeah, in 2000, you know, 2003, we, we brewed our first batch of beer. We, um, there was, I, I put a crew of three guys together. We went and tore the breweries apart, hauled them back, reassembled them. Uh, right here, uh, not far from where we're talking right now. Uh, we, we actually still have that location. We built a distillery over there now, so now we're doing oh, distilled cool. spirits, which is in the r- original location of the brewery. So the first brewery was 10,000 square feet, um, and it was you know two, two breweries that we had torn apart and hauled back to Lakewood, New York, and reassembled. Sarah's brother, Rob, actually helped for one summer after he graduated from UVM. So it was, awesome. uh, it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. So I asked before with the homebrew, but what was the first beer you brewed uh, on the new on the new equipment? Day the baby's born. Well, there was a um, a lot of raw material that was because literally when that brewery was seized by the bank, they just came in and locked the doors. Mm-hmm. So there was beer, there were hops, there was there was all kinds of stuff. We actually traded some. We were we were close to the Berkshire brewing company in the Berkshires. Mm-hmm. So I called them one day and we were on a shoestring budget and I said, Hey, I got a bunch of old. Well, was, I don't know if it was old. It was still good. I said I had a bunch of, you know, old malton hops from when they closed this place down. Would you guys be interested and would you trade for, for gift certificates so while we're ripping this thing out, we can eat at your restaurant and, drink, awesome. and drink beer? And they were like, heck yeah, that's a great idea. Uh, but, but so they didn't use all of it. Some of it we hauled back and used for our first test brew, uh, which was a Vienna lager. Um, that we we never launched. Sure. Uh, yeah, but but it was pretty good. We 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 had it on tap for quite some time. Um, the first production brew that we ever did uh, that was packaged was a beer called Mild Ale. So when we started out, we started out with IPA, Mild Ale, Pilsner, and Porter. Um, Mild Ale and Pilsner were kind of the brands that we we really thought would uh, become our flagships. Um, lo and behold, it ended up being IPA. And, you know, to this day, IPA and IPAs are king of craft. Uh, so we were, you know, you hear about all these West Coast guys talk, like, they, they want to take credit for IPA. Like they started Yeah, it. guys, <laughs> that op- you know, they opened up in 2006, and they're like, oh, we're, like, kings of IPA, you know. Lagunitas, I can give them a little credit. They were opened up around the same time um, that we were. But, I mean, we've been brewing IPA in the East Coast since 2003. Yeah. I don't know, like some of these IPAs, and maybe you guys can speak to this a little bit, it, they seem to, I don't know if it's true, expire. Some people go, oh, I have to drink it in the first 30 days, or it doesn't taste the same. Is there any truth to that? Hoppy beer is better fresh. Yeah. There's no doubt about it. Uh, maltier, uh, higher alcohol beers age better. Mm-hmm. Um, I like to drink all my beer fresh. <laughs> they don't age well in my house. Yeah. <laughs> beer, beer never ages in my house. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but but there is some truth that you know IPAs. I wouldn't say that they age out, but mm-hmm. but they're you know they're best 
their their aromatic properties are best when they're drank fresh. That's okay. when you're really going to taste the hops. Yeah. But three or four months, one month, it's, you're really, I mean, that's, that's, that's quick. I'm so excited to try something new. I wouldn't want to be disappointed because it's, you know, six weeks old. And Well, a lot of it has to do with the brewery you buy it from, too. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you have a lot of these smaller breweries that don't really, they haven't been around as long as Southern Tier have, has. They haven't invested the type of money that we have in our equipment. You know, they might just have limited resources. I'm not saying anything bad about them, but, right. you know, we've got millions of dollars invested in quality behind Southern Tier. So I would I would say that our IPA is going to hold up, you know, a lot longer than some of these smaller guys that have these kind of, you know, lower budget uh, packaging lines that aren't as sophisticated and aren't as, you know, quality engineered yeah. um, as the one that we have. So a lot of it has to do with the, the brewery that you're buying it from when you start talking in terms of shelf life and freshness. Sure. So this this whole property that we're sitting on, I'm, I'm sorry, I, I keep looking up and just looking around at everything. The distillery is on this property as well? Yeah, the brewery, the brewery sits on 160 acres. Okay. Um, so we have a pretty big chunk of land. Uh, there's two, there's, there's three buildings now. We have the main production building, we have a logistics building, and then we also have the distillery. So the brewery itself is right around 200,000 square feet, and oh. the distillery is about 10,000 square feet. Yeah. yeah. And the uh, brewery has a f- full tasting room. Uh, we sell food, great food, everything. All the food is handcrafted just like our beer is. Um, and then the distillery is going to have a tasting room that's going to operate too. It's going to be open the second week of July. Okay. Great. It's like a campus. Yeah. We're yeah, trying sure to build is. a little campus. Yeah. Well, let me know when you put dorms in. <laughs> Everyone keeps asking. <laughs> hotels, have been, hotels have come up in conversation before. Yeah, Air- we stayed. Airbnb we've been here something. before on an overnight, and we stayed at a little motel down the hill. Uh, and you stayed. Didn't they have a special room that you stayed in? Uh, yeah, but it was. Uh, I'm trying to think. It was a throwback. Oh, it was. I don't know, but I'll was never remember the name of it. Decked out in like 50s gear, and it was oh, it was really cool. We, we it was walked. Like it's pristinely clean and yeah. everything, but it just it was like six, whoa! It was like walking six through a time warp. Yeah. yeah, interesting. That's yeah. what we lack. We don't have any overnight accommodations in this little local area. Yeah. So. It was a cool place. It was, it was like you said, interesting. It was. We had some fun. There was an outdoor gazebo, and you know, we had some uh, some amazing beers here. And then it was around the time of my birthday. It wasn't exactly my birthday, but I really thought it'd be cool to ride in the back of a pickup truck. Oh my god, um, that's right. And I don't know why I got that idea. I just saw some pickup trucks, so we made some friends with some <laughs> people who had some kids who were running around on the stage over there, and uh, we said, hey. Do you mind? Do you mind just dropping us off? Uh, he's like, no problem. Um, could we ride in the back of your pickup truck? Now I don't know if I needed a helmet or a seatbelt. Uh, um, we needed to ride up the hill. We didn't need to ride well, down. Yeah. you're still you're still here, so it worked. Yeah, out. yeah, it all worked out. For you. That's it all a good worked memory. out. Oh, it was fun. Yeah, it was fun. Oh. We'll have to do that again. But, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Well, well, let's keep it going then. So, um, you know, a lot of these places that are just starting out, a lot of our stories sort of have that inspirational tone to it because people are, they could be musicians trying to record the first record. They could be people starting a brewery. After the first couple of years, did you guys find there was like a specific challenge or obstacle to overcome? Well, in the beginning, it was all about capital. Yeah. It's, it's, it's obviously very expensive to start a new business mm-hmm. and put a sales team together. And we were really learning. I mean, Finn knew a lot about beer, but the other end of it, sales, was a, was a mystery to us. So in the beginning, it definitely was capital. You know, we, we didn't have a lot of people working for us. We were both working long hours. Like you said, you know, we were starting a family. So that, I think, was the biggest stressor. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Trying to build the brand. Because do you operate on a budget that essentially is, for example, you're not paying yourself or you aren't worried about a profit to begin with? You're worried about building the business, building the brand. Is that sort of how it works in the beginning? Oh, definitely. I mean, I I don't think we saw a paycheck for the first four years. Wow, yeah. (laughs) I mean, it was was a business that we built more, more about something we love to do. That we weren't really looking at like how much how much money can this generate for us in five years or seven years. It was more just about, you know, we were more like the starving artists. Like we just really really love craft beer, and we really think that there's merit to it. And if we love it so much, there's got to be other people that love it. Uh, so you know, one of the hardest things for me because I was I was actually in charge of the sales. I convinced a friend of mine, Matt, you know, from Matt from Finn and Matts, uh, who worked with me at Goose Island. He was kind of an early day sweat equity partner. Um, he ended up moving back to Chicago. Um, he's doing great there. 
Um, but he was in charge of, of the production and I, I was the sales guy. So I was out on the road all the time. And I remember going to accounts with IPA and, uh, you know, people tasting it and saying, oh, this tastes like bark. What is this? Wow. I'm like, it's not bark, it's hops. You know, they'd never tasted hops before. Um, and then you run into the occasional old timer that's like, wow, this reminds me of Ballantine. I okay. To, yeah, Ballantine kind of, you know, which it wasn't a real hoppy beer, but it was a, a bitter beer. Um, so you'd get these old timers that, that lo- like one of the classic, you know, one of our early draft accounts and still a really good customer was Mammosers in Hamburg. Yeah. I remember calling on great them. Great wings. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they do have great wings. And, you know, the what scored me the account was this old timer who drank there every day said it reminded him of Ballantine IPA. And he said, oh, yeah, if you put this on tap, I'll drink it. And he would buy his, like, little pitcher of beer, and he'd sit there, you know, nurse his little pitcher into <laughs> his awesome. 10-ounce glass. And sure enough, as soon as IPA came in, he was converted. And he probably was our best spokesman because he sat at that bar. <laughs> that word of mouth of is valuable. Yeah, yeah. Hey, that's, that's all it was in the beginning. It was just getting out there, talking to people, making friends. Um, and then finally I started, you know, calling on, like, Wegmans. And Wegmans was a great, great partner early on. We were one of the first craft, local craft beers uh, to get into Wegmans. And in, in the early days, craft brands were, you know, people said you build them on-premise, which means you go to, you know, you build them at bars and restaurants. Yeah. And then if you build the on-premise, the off-premise comes. Well, after two years of knocking on doors and, you know, driving all across western New York, setting up wholesalers, trying to, you know, build an account one at a time. I was like, my God, we're going to go broke. This is going to take forever. Um, so one of the things that we had done early on is we decided that we were going to bottle beer right out of the gates because the model was kind of like open up a craft brewery, only sell draft. And then once you build up enough draft business, then you buy a bottle line. And we kind of just right out of the gate started packaging beer. So I said, I got to I gotta get to these accounts, you know, like bigger chain accounts. Mm-hmm. I need to get to Wegmans. I need to get to Tops. Um, consumer beverage, you know, was always a great customer of yeah. ours. Um, but even their craft category was maybe a tenth of, you know, what it is now. So, yeah. so but, uh, you know, we started with Buffalo Beverage, the Jablonskis. Uh, they're not around anymore, but they were they they were they were huge in helping us build the brand in Buffalo. Consumers was a huge player in that, and then finally we started cracking into Wegmans and Tops and quality markets, and and then our distribution overnight started to double, triple, quadruple, and uh, right around that same time, drinkers you know really started to turn on to craft. Like I would say, right around 2006, 2007, you know the lights went on for the consumers, and they were all you know, but but you know. Consumer products were moving in that direction. People wanted to know where their meat came from, their coffee right. came from, who was roasting it. You know, the, 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 the consumer was just really looking to educate themselves, and they, they wanted to know what they were consuming and where it came from. And so craft beer just, like, just folded right into that movement perfectly. And, uh, you know, and then that, those, are, those are the, you know, probably from 2000, 2007 to 2012, it was like the, the for me the glory days of craft. I mean, it was just growth, growth, growth. Competition was there wasn't a ton of it, and then probably around 2012, everybody and their brothers said, "Oh, I think I want to open a brewery." Mm-hmm. And here we are with 4,500 of them now, 4,000. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's that's amazing. That's so many. When we <laughs> first opened at that location, and I brought Finn here, people in this area thought Blue Moon was craft. And Finn says, what are you doing? What are we doing here? We're opening a craft brewery here in this market. Right. And it was hard because we had to educate people at the same time as we're trying to sell the product. But you also you knew that you wanted to get to the bottles and you wanted to do this. You basically acted older than you were, which is a good idea if you can, if you can pull it off. If you, you know, because you had these bottles and you could take them places where everyone else starts, like you said, didn't do that. So it's kind of, you kind of set your own goal but this is where we're going to be anyway let's just do it now and, and mm-hmm. it worked out which is great and so. i think the experience at goose was immeasurable i mean mm-hmm. john hall taught finn so much that he brought here that we were lucky to have that that's great and even the craft breweries that that existed i mean the majority of them were brew pubs that just survived the shakeout of the early 90s you know mm-hmm. when craft kind of surfaced for a moment the bubble bursted and there was a lot of bad beer out there and the consumer kind of turned their back on it. Mm-hmm. So 
production breweries pretty much died. It turned into only pub, you know, restaurants. And everybody said, you're going to open a production brewery. There's no money in that. You know, you got to have food. You got to have full, you got to take advantage of the full retail dollar. You, you can't make any money in production sure. brewing. And if you look, it, the tables have turned. If you look now at what people are opening, they're not opening restaurants. They're opening produ- small production breweries. Yes. You know, and then just really trying to fill out this real kind of regional footprint. Um, and now you have food. And, and now, now we, we have food. food. <laughs> yeah. Because yep. it was fun in 2007. I mean, that, like Finn said, all of a sudden it was like we turned the corner and people were buying our beer and they were hearing about it, and that was really fun. But then 2008 came, and then we had to make the decision. We're bursting at the seams. Do we just stay where we're at, or do we build this facility that you're sitting at now? Yeah, I think people would be interested in hearing about that. When do you finally decide that we need to expand what we're doing? Yeah, I mean, we. You know, we always kind of ate the elephant bite by bite. Um, yeah. We never really over-leveraged ourselves. Um, so the, the first brewery and the 10,000 square feet, I think the most we produced out of that facility, we, I think we almost pushed right around 40,000 barrels out of a small 10,000 square foot facility. Okay. So we were kind of busting at the seams. And that's right around 2009 when we, when we planned on uh, opening, uh, when we built the, the first building, in our campus now we moved up here and we did about 60,000 barrels and I think that we've basically since we started construction in 2009 we've always been under construction mm-hmm. so like right now we're building our wastewater plant we, 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 we handle our own wastewater and generate uh, energy from our, our effluent so it's always there's always been a constant project ever since then I think this year we're going to do about 130,000 barrels so it's been it's been quite the ride. That's a lot. <laughs> yeah, but it was always about a destination, too. We always wanted to make sure that, yes, it's a factory, but it's a showpiece, too. Mm-hmm. And people are going to come and visit, and we want them to feel like this is almost our home. And I don't know if you walk through the factory, but we'll take you through afterwards. Oh, that's great news. I'm excited. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, we haven't, but I can speak to, you know, go, traveling and searching out some of these breweries. We found one, uh, I guess a little shout out. Where were we? It was Frenchtown Brewing in what island were we? St. Thomas. We were in St. Thomas. Uh, yeah. And probably as small as you probably could do it because they are above a, uh, connected to a travel agency. On the second floor, yeah. you got to go down around a restaurant, down an alley. And through a, a bookcase. Through a bookcase. <laughs> Literally, they had a hidden bookcase from the... From the, so, so for, for those of you who haven't been here, definitely kind of put it on your bucket list or make it a plan because this is beautiful. There's all these old architectural wooden beams. It's almost like an amphitheater style out back here on the patio. Mm-hmm. And we're looking at five or six different silos. I'm assuming those are fermenters right over there. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, If you come on Saturdays, you can sign up and take a tour. And it's not just like a little self-guided tour where they give you a beer and say, go walk down that hallway. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you can actually, it's, there's a guide that takes you through the actual production facility. So you walk right through the bottle line, you see the cellars, you walk right up through the brew house, and you finish in our upstairs tasting lounge, which we call the Shalander. And then every tour comes with a flight. So then you can sit and have a flight of beer. Um, there's usually about 14 different to choose from. You can select the four that you want to taste. And we have, uh, you know, highly educated Cicerone trained bartenders that can describe and talk to you about the beer and your tour, tour guide can talk to you about the facility. Um, so it's, if you're in the area and you want to, you're looking for something to do on a Saturday afternoon, it's, it's, it's worth it. Oh yeah. Cool. And we always have live music on the stage. So it's a, it's a fun event. I've been here a few times for Summerfest mm-hmm. and it's, um, I know you do have, have a bunch of other outdoor events too. I just they're all posted on your uh, on your windows there. Uh, it is a great time. The band was great. It was a reggae band here the one year I was here. Summerfest, you can do keg bowling too. I, yeah, there was keg bowling. That was that's right. There was, that was keg bowling. <laughs> yeah. Well, kind of bringing us up to like current events since uh, since 2012. I, we sort of mentioned you said it was like the glory years, you know, from let's say 2006 all the way through there. How have you guys approached sort of like the current state of of craft beer, and I guess specifically any any challenges that come to mind that you had to sort of tackle? Competition. You know, there's a lot of competition out there. Yeah. There's a lot of brands out there. Um, the retailers are kind of taking everything, you know, because I, I think they're confused by it. They don't know what's going to be successful and what's not. So their theory is let's just take everything. Mm-hmm. You know, there's some new breweries that have opened up that are producing some really high quality beer. 
uh, that have maybe come from you know southern tier or or a goose island or you know a uh, ballast point or lagunitas you know that uh, is making good beer and and open their own thing up and then there's a lot of guys who are hobbyists so it's a mixed bag out there right now i think there's a lot of bad beer out there Mm -hmm. there's a lot of guys making beer that aren't they're, they're driven by how much they can sell a pint for and not how good it tastes and then I think there's some guys doing some really cool stuff. And then I think there's some really great innovation out there now um, as people thrive to, like, have some sort of, you know, differentiation between breweries. You're trying finding, to find a niche. Yeah, trying to find their niche. There's some really cool stuff going on. So, um, I mean, I think that I think there's a bubble here, and I think we're kind of, you know, reaching the point where I think it's, it's, it's going to pop because I'm not so sure that there's enough beer drinkers out there for all the brands that are coming on you know the craft segment that from from the standpoint of the consumer isn't growing as fast as there are breweries opening and new brands coming onto the market so um you know and then you got guys like southern tier that we've been doing this for 14 years and we've got big sales forces and marketing dollars and deeper pockets and we're you know we're gonna keep doing what we do um so it'll be it, it's going to be an interesting next few years yeah. in craft as the whole category kind of matures can you tell us and our listeners about your affiliation with uh, pagula sports oh yeah the one buffalo beer uh, you guys did yeah uh you know buffalo definitely is our the market that's nearest and dearest to our heart along with chautauqua county where the brewery's located um so we've always wanted to uh kind of do something just for buffalo uh, and especially as you know, we we were the local brewery in Buffalo. I still say we are the local brewery mm-hmm. in Buffalo. Uh, we've been there the longest. I would say that you know we kind of paved the way for craft beer um, in the early days. Uh, so we wanted to make sure that you know Buffalonians re- remembered us, and we thought, what better way than to team up with Pagula Sports, who's just doing amazing things for Buffalo sports. You know, it's just that's they're the best thing that happened to Buffalo sports in years. So, you know, when, you know, when we started uh, building a relationship and then the opportunity was presented to us to do a one Buffalo beer, it was a no brainer. We jumped all over it. Um, So it's been it's been really it's been been a good success. Um, You know, I think the the beer is very approachable to even non-craft drinkers. So I think it's brought a lot of people into uh, our category. And uh, this year we have a can line, so we're gonna we're gonna have one Buffalo 16 ounce cans That's that great. we'll be able to sell in the venues. And you know, instead of tailgating with bottles, you'll be able to tailgate with cans. There you go. <laughs> Look over the pool fridge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. On the pool boat, fridge is all cans. The so. Yeah, there yeah. you go. At the golf course. So our um, we have season tickets. Me and my brother share season tickets to the Sabers, but your bar is unfortunately on the hundred level, and our tickets are on the three hundred level. So I would go down once a period and buy the uh, 2X Stout halfway through the season. The bartender, I think his name's Marty. Um, I walk in, he goes, I got you something. And I was like, what? And he, take, he has a stack of giant cups. So now I can have 2X Stout double poured into this one cup, and I only to do the stairs once. I was so happy. <laughs> that so is we, a beautiful bar. Yeah, it yeah, is. We've if been, really been to the Sabres that. game, um, it, it looks like the brewery. It has the same style. It's not just a roll-up bar with, with a few taps. It's a, uh, it's a legitimate, uh, you can't sit at it, but it's a legitimate stand, and, and it looks like a bar, and, and they have bottles. Uh, the 2X Stout's what I drink when I'm there, so we call it 4X Stout, because it's <laughs> Double Love cup, it. yeah. Love it. In, a, the, in the one bar, giant cup. The bar was actually done by the same guy who does all our timber work here. So he that explains a lot. Went up, measured, came back, cut it all, kind of constructed it, tore it all down, brought it up to Buffalo. And yeah. Then, you know, sometimes we've talked to uh, wineries who, you know, they're in their fourth or fifth generation of being like, you know, family owned and operated. I know you mentioned starting a family earlier, uh, you know, when you first were starting the brewery. Uh, are the kids interested in the family business yet or? Well, I'll tell you what. They're when still they were, pretty young. Yeah. When, yeah. When are they? The twins were in third grade. They went to school. They were doing career day. And they told the teacher they were going to be brewers. And all the kids in the class said, what's that? True. And I yeah. think the... Uh, They're like, that's not a real job. <laughs> I don't know. It's hard to say what they'll do. We like to think that, that it's exciting to do your own path. And that's what Finn and I did. And we hope that they choose that same idea and whatever it may be. 
No, that's, I mean, it's good advice. It seems like the passion and the drive sometimes is tough to transfer, especially maybe that third generation or that fourth generation, because you want to sort of venture out on your own path and, and try your own thing. Um, like you said before, Finn, like who knows what craft beer is going to look like in five years, let's say, compared to you know what it looks like today. So when the kids are finally old enough, they may not want to uh, necessarily follow in the footsteps, but maybe there's a whole new venture, you know, Southern Tier or something else. We'll see. Right, yeah. right. And I think that's uh, some of Finn and mine's best memories is starting this place and the struggles and the frustrations and the excitement and the achievement. So, you know, we just hope that our kids will be able to do that same thing and find what they like. Yeah. Well, we always like to ask, too, is there anything that's, like, currently exciting you right now in terms of the brewing business? Yeah. Well, the, the one exciting thing is in the fall we're going to open our first brew pub. Um, it'll be in Pittsburgh. So nice. we're very excited about cool. that. It'll be a, a full brewery and restaurant, and it's right across from the stadiums. So oh, Pittsburgh's going to be excited, excited to get that, that news. Yeah, Buffalo is our number one choice. Mm-hmm. We actually have a location all scouted out, uh, but then we started uh, running into some construction delays, mm-hmm. and uh, we had a great opportunity in Pittsburgh. So I would say in the future, you know, look for uh, look for. Look for something a little closer to home in Buffalo. Great. Yeah, that's really exciting, too. I know there's a lot of expansion, you know, in all these cities. I was listening to somebody talk about the... It, back in Pittsburgh, maybe even a few years ago, you couldn't even really get a six-pack of beer at a, at a store uh, on Sunday, let's say. You had to, you know, buy a case or pay the price at the bar. So I think it's going to be pretty exciting for people to be down there. Why Pittsburgh, I guess? Just in terms of uh, what's the story behind picking that location in conjunction with where you guys are now? Uh, Buffalo and Pittsburgh are our two largest markets. Okay. They're, they're almost neck and neck. I mean, Buffalo is our home market. So we, you know naturally look to buffalo first but we just had you know a a space in pittsburgh that's just such an awesome opportunity it's right next to pnc park Mm -hmm. two blocks away from heinz field um 10,000 square foot beer garden wow so we didn't think that that space was going to stay on the market for too long so we we jumped at it great Uh, i can't wait to go yeah, I'm going to be in Pittsburgh this summer. It sounds like it'll be a little too too early. You said fall. Fall. You'll see it. You'll see the location. There's On the way to uh, West Virginia football. There you go. Wait till there the fall. Stop in Pittsburgh. There you go. Stop on down. So definitely be on the lookout for that too. Yeah, I mean, we have cans too. So we have not just uh, one Buffalo in cans, but uh, IPA, Tangier, two um, X IPA. Uh, we've got a Pilsner coming out in cans too. So we have some new new products coming from Southern Tier. We've got. Uh, We've been dabbling in uh, doing some sour, refreshing beer like Goza. So we mm-hmm. have an Imperial Cherry Goza coming. Um, salted Caramel, which is the latest addition to the Blackwater, nice. is just coming out. We have a, a larger version of Tangier called 2X Tangier Okay. Um, that is a just about to be released. So that'll be in market here pretty soon. And then, you know, the opening of the distillery. We're pretty excited about that. Cool. Yeah. I'm excited for the Salted Caramel. That's coming home. Oh, yeah? You're yeah. taking a little souvenir oh, home? Yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. Well, um, our, our photographer over here, Sean, he handed me a question, and he was, uh, you know, he's listening in on this. Um, do you think maybe uh, in terms of maturity of craft beer, almost like the wine industry where, you know, like the people that make it are kind of blue-collar workers, they understand, you know, the science behind it all, but sometimes the people that drink it are, uh, you know, elite. Is there? you think there might be a segment of craft beer that sort of matures to elite craft beer is that uh is that in the cards i hope not <laughs> <laughs> i mean craft beer is you know i i brew it so everybody can enjoy it yeah you know okay. it's and that's the beautiful thing about craft beer too because you can get some pretty awesome super high-end beer for you know less than 15 bucks mm-hmm. a really super high-end bottle of wine i mean that could cost you upwards of 60 80 you know who knows further and beyond so you know when people compare high-end wine to craft beer they're just completely different things you know beer is beer is for the people it's the people's choice it's the people's drink it has been for you know over a decade and i don't see it changing and craft beer is a very affordable luxury so i hope it it never gets too snobby no, that's, and I appreciate the honest answer because from the business side of things, certain people I'm sure would be like, oh, I'd love it for a bottle of my beer to go for $44 because yeah. we barrel aged it and it's a 2012 version. But 
you know, that's not everybody. It sounds like that's not you guys, and that's good. That's there, good there's some really high-end beers out there, and that's great. You know, there's some guys that have done some really crazy stuff, and, and you know, we do some really crazy stuff that's expensive. You start putting things in, you know, 30-year-old rum barrels, and, mm-hmm. you know, you start... Yeah, you pumpkin. Know, yeah, you start, getting, you start doing stuff like that, and uh, it, it's an expensive product. Yeah. But usually those really expensive products are extremely low volume mm-hmm. um so you know we, we we do it more for for fun than we do for profit cool gotcha. yeah. yeah cool well looking ahead did you guys want to touch on and it's okay if not whatever's going on with the victory brewing i know that was only in the news a couple months back and it seems like it's more of a like joining forces as i feel like that's the state of craft beer somewhat how's the future look for you guys in terms of those kind of alliances i mean we're we're not rushing into anything yeah. Um, we're not, you know, we're, we're not out there actively seeking deals or anything like that. The partnership with Victory, um, you know, was basically just we, ha- we, we have a lot of the same opinions. We're very like minded. Our breweries have similar cultures. Our brands are, you know, very highly regarded in, in the craft beer community. And, you know, we saw eye to eye on on where we thought the industry was going, the state of it. And, and where we, we thought there'd be opportunity, uh, you know, as far as, you know, aligning f- sales forces, capacities, um, different business synergies, um, you know, just like now we're the 15th largest nationally. Right. So now when we go into our wholesalers and we tell that story, it's a little more compelling than saying, hey, we're 35. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, and when we have, you know, deep resources into marketing, sales, Mm-hmm. And just these these awesome legacy breweries, I mean, that resonates. Suddenly, you're a lot more powerful. You know, to, together, you're more powerful than you are, you know, apart. Are you going to brew and distribute their label here? I mean, if there's if there's certain capacity needs that they have that we can relieve, or vice versa, you know, we'll look at it. Um, the goal is to let the breweries just operate independently you know mm-hmm. let the let the unique culture at victory exist and the unique culture at southern tier exist and uh you know where where there's opportunity we'll we'll go after it but we didn't there's there's no great great uh a hidden agenda here you know we yeah. just no. we're just going to keep making the great beer that we always have and and if we can team up and be be stronger together we will be no, I appreciate you addressing that because I'm sure with, with some of the, the beer culture, they're always wondering what's going on with like the latest and, and you know, it's, it's better to hear it straight from the horse's mouth. No, it's exciting. And, you know, for Finn and I, from starting with three of us to grow to, I think we're, what, 127 employees now. I know Victory is close to 400. Mm-hmm. You really got to start thinking about, you know, who do you have that's built these companies with us? And, and we've surrounded ourselves with some really great, talented people. And some of the people have been with us from close to the start. So it's good. You know, it's all evolution and we're all working together and we feel like they're part of our family. And I know Victory feels the same. So it's a it's a great partnership for us. And then the family just got bigger. (laughs) <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. One yeah. mouse to feed. One yeah. more. <laughs> well, you know, when we kind of wrap this thing up, we always look ahead to sort of maybe some advice or final thoughts. You know, maybe it's to the brewers out there that are just kind of starting out. Any advice you'd give to somebody who, uh, you know, maybe is just taking that first step? Yeah, make good beer. <laughs> <laughs> Don't just jump into it because you see the, the brewery down the streets packed and you just want some of that action do it because you like craft beer and you want to make good beer because if you don't you're just going to destroy the industry i'm not saying this because you guys are here i'm saying it because it's true um we have at my house two southern tier taps pretty much all year round yeah but we always do and uh, i'm serious about taking taking more home so thank you for making good beer that's what makes it all so great you know Mm -hmm. Finn and I we never get tired of hearing people say we love your beer we found it here or this Mm -hmm. is exciting the glasses I have separate warlock and pumpkin (laughs) glasses oh yeah it's great nice nice well Well, guys those stories are what keep us going you know we we love to hear about I got more you know the the best thing is when somebody smiles and you know you just do you feel like you 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 gave them something that they really enjoyed you know that's that's the most rewarding thing about Mm -hmm. brewing beer Cool. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think I think we're uh, we're wrapping this thing up. Um, you know, for everybody out there that's listening to this story, we mentioned it before. Uh, whether you're familiar with the brewery or you're just hearing about them for the first time, uh, where can they where can they find you guys again? What's the website or the social media? Uh, com, stbc.beer, or you can just go on our Facebook page. We've got a Twitter account too. Yeah, or just show up. Just come to the brewery. Yeah, so yeah. It's very inviting. Nearby, very friendly. On the list, you know. I'm sure you guys have one of those beer locator things. You can kind of type in your address, see yes, where you can find it. Yeah, that's on our webpage. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So see how far the closest place is you can get your hands that's on. How so. I, that's how I know when Warlock's out. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> nice. Mm-hmm. All, right. All right, guys. Well, as always, it's been another great episode of Guys Telling Stories. Uh, if you haven't already, subscribe to the show. And uh, thanks for listening. I'm Rich Douglas. I'm Bill Easton. All right. Until next time. All right. We're back from Southern Tier Brewing Company. Mm-hmm. Bill. We got to go back. I left my pen there. <laughs> he's we, making that We up. have to go back. Uh, he's making <laughs> If that I'm up. allowed back. It was a lot of fun. Wow. <laughs> we had a great time. We got to taste some new beers. We had a tour of the brewery. Sarah walked us around the entire brewery. Oh, yeah. We saw the, 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 the keg. What do they call that? Filling? I, I'm sorry. I'm so excited. The keg <laughs> filling, the bottle lines. The bottle lines are incredible. It's it's gorgeous. The brewery yeah. is absolutely gorgeous. And at one point, I asked her, like, you ever?" because we're standing right by these bottles that are like eye level going behind her, and I'm just watching them. I'm like, boy, I would just, I would just sit here and just pull bottles off. So I, <laughs> I asked her, okay, have you ever, you ever just pull a bottle off? What'd you say? And she goes... Like and drink it, and I was like, "Yeah, you ever just pulling off and open it and drink it?" And she turned around, grabbed four bottles, gave gave all of us a bottle. Um, of course, no one had an opener, so we couldn't open them right away. But it said right on there that it was just made. Yeah, that day. two minutes ago. Yeah, I uh, I'm holding mine in my hand right now. We'll post that picture for sure. So, Sarah, thanks for the amazing tour. Yep, Sarah and Finn, thanks for an amazing interview. It was um, great. You guys got to make it down there. A couple quick reminders. Our fan design contest for our next T-shirt, it ends next week. So send in those submissions. Keep them coming any way you'd like. And our short story special Mm -hmm. is also still available. We're going to post a new one every couple of weeks. And you can head to our website, guystellingstories.com. Click on the support the show link. And if you like what you hear, there's more stories there. All right, Bill. Can't wait till next week. Yep. We got to go. We got to go back and get my pen. Yeah. <laughs> Remember to subscribe to the episode. You can head to our website, guystownstories.com. I'm Rich Douglas. I'm Bill Easton. Until next time. <laughs>